Today, as we have the introduction for this sermon, it's a probably one of the heaviest lifts of the whole sermon series to kind of get it teed up. Um, but we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 14. I really want you to turn there in your Bible this morning or take your handy-dandy smart device and look it up there in Luke, chapter 14. And uh, it's the power of the story. Because Luke 14 and Luke 15 are all about stories. Stories are a very powerful thing. From your youngest time of recollection, you can remember who were good storytellers. Who were the good storytellers who could come along beside, you know, as a young person and tell stories like nobody else? My dad was the greatest storyteller, man. I mean, he could just make up stories off the fly like that. And uh, he had started, we had, a, we had a, this drill that we would do. We'd have to take a nap. So dad would always put us down and take a nap and tell us a story. And uh, he would always, we could put him to sleep and then we'd slip off. Now my kids are doing the same thing. You know, so anyway, I guess it's the circle of life. Amen. And so it's, it's the story, the power of the story. And most of the time when Jesus was trying to deliver the heaviest principles, he used stories. And somewhere in the middle of the story is the biblical truth that he was trying to portray. And as we think about this this morning in Luke chapter 14, there are several stories that happen in Luke 14. I just want to talk to you about them, and then we're going to pull the points out, if you will. Luke 14 begins in verse 1 on the Sabbath. And I want to read these verses, and then we're going to talk about the stories. On the Sabbath, he went to eat at the house of the religious lead or the leading Pharisees, and they were watching him closely. Then in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid, and in response, Jesus asked the experts of the law, the Pharisees, and he says, is it lawful for me to heal this guy on the Sabbath? But they kept silent, and he took the man and healed them and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you would have a son or an ox that would fall into a well and you would not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath? And then he kept quiet. They kept quiet, the rest of them. They had no answer is what it says. They had no answer. And so there's a heavy biblical truth that Jesus is getting ready to move into at the end of verse 6. And they said they could not find an answer. Then he moves into these stories because he told a parable to those who were invited. Now, circle this in your Bible, invited. Those who were invited, and he noticed that when they begin to come in, they begin to go to the best spots. And then he talks to them about if there was this wedding that took place, and you know you were invited to the wedding. He says, don't go to the best spot, but go, go, don't go to the best spot and... And then the, the head of the wedding party would come and say, could you move to a, a, a not-so-good seat because somebody greater than you has come in. But he says, take the low place and allow the person who is the head of the wedding to come to you and say, oh, no, 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 you come on up for a, uh, the better seat. Now, now, this isn't my sermon, young people, but get this right here. This is a life principle. A life principle here is, Always take the low place and allow your 
your conduct, your ethic, your nature, your character to shine forth that other people would come to you and say, why are you sitting here? You have so much greater power and prominence. Now, as we move on, he tells this story. And then at the end of this story right here, if you will look with me, it says, uh, and then it says in verse 14, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the time of the resurrection. OK, so he's talking about this great banquet and all that that happened. Now, in verse 15, he goes into the story and it says, when one of those who was reclined at the table, he's still with this small group of people here. And as this is beginning to happen, it says a man was giving a large banquet and invited invited many. And it says, but without exception, in verse 18, they all began to make excuses. And then it lists their excuses. I'm not going to read them all for the sake of time. But verse 21 says, so the slaves came back and reported these things to the master. And then in anger, the master of the house told them, go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. In verse 22, the master came. They said, Master, the slave said, What you have ordered has been done, and there is still room for more. Then the master told the slave, Go out in the highways, the hedges, the lanes, and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus is in a small group setting. And there is only people who were invited. You remember I asked you to circle that. They were invited into this meeting room. It was the people of religion. People of the law. People who knew truth. But they didn't know much about grace. Because they looked at this young person who was there filled with fluid and his body was sick and it was crippled and they were going to let him stay there even though the answer was in front of them to heal them because it was a Sabbath. And Jesus, he put them in a situation of perplexing them that they didn't have an answer after he healed them and said, now which of you would have a boy that you wouldn't pull him out of a well if he fell in it in the middle of the, on a Sunday, on a Sabbath actually, it would be a Saturday then. And so in this passage of Scripture, he begins to draw this, and he has a certain group of truth seekers. People who who could be pictured as the church today. It was the Pharisees, the religious group. And then in the middle of the religious group, he noticed this struggle for place of prominence. Now, he begins to tell them this story, and in the middle of this story, he talks about people who had a right to be there. Now, stay with me for a moment, because the people in the beginning in Luke 14 had a right to be there because they had been invited to a small group setting. It was, you had to be invited, you had to have an invitation, and the invitation had been sent out, and they were in the inner circle. And he begins to talk to the people in the inner circle about the conflict of their attitude. In the middle of this, there's this inner turmoil, inner struggle, inner strife to elevate oneself to a position of prominence. And Jesus says, you need to take the low road. In the process of taking the low road, then I will elevate you. And then he tells this story about people who had an invitation to go to a banquet. 
And yet when the invitation came, they began to make excuse for not going. That nobody came. And so then the master of the banquet said this. He told his servants, go out in the highways and the hedges and invite the lame, the crippled, the hurting, everybody who's hurting, go bring them in. They went and brought them in and the servant came back and said, there's still room for more. And Jesus then says, go and invite anybody. Go in the highways. That, that, today, here's how, you, how we'd put this. Go down the interstates, go down the state roads, go down the parish roads, go down the back alleys, and anybody that you come in contact with, you tell them that there is an invitation to come. Now, in this story, there are several things that we see happening here. He's telling these stories to deliver a bigger biblical truth. And it's about truth versus grace. You remember a couple of weeks ago when Ricky Shalette was here, he, he teed this up and he talked about truth and grace and how today in our culture it just seems like there's those people who are staunch truth tellers. They're the religious crowd, they're the, the religious people and it's all about truth. And, and then over here in the religious crowd there's these others and it's all about grace. And we have, we have found ourselves pitted against one another that it's truth versus grace, right versus wrong. When the reality of it is that truth without grace is not very good truth. And grace without truth is cheap grace, which is not great grace. Now, why am I showing these couple of things here? Because in this passage of Scripture, there's a couple of things that you can take away. You can know God's grace in your head, but not know it in your heart. The Pharisees knew the law. They knew they couldn't heal somebody on the Sabbath. They knew that they couldn't engage in these practices. They knew that the Pharisees, who were the, 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 the invited crowd, the, the crowd of prominence at the upper bracket of the cultural, uh, uh, at, the, at the top tier of the cultural bracket, they were invited. And they would never inhabit the same banquet hall with people from the highways and the hedges. But when the people at the very top would have nothing to do with the ceremony, with the banquet, he went and invited all those who didn't have a right to be there. Now stay with me for a minute because those who were invited to the banquet, those who were invited to the wedding had a right to be there because they had an invitation. Now he's speaking to the Jewish crowd and we know that Jesus first came to the Jews, but hold on a second. If you go back to the end of Luke chapter 13, you find Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, sitting up on the mountain and he's sitting there and he's weeping and he's saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, why did you not realize the time of your visitation? And so Jesus is saying, I am here, the Messiah is here, the one you've been looking for is here. And he looks to them and he says, but you missed it. And then he says, because you didn't want to have any part of me, now I'm going to those who are in the highways and the hedges, the crippled, the lame, the hurting, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, the half-breeds. Those that you disdain, that's where I'm going to. Those who are still Jews, but who are publicans and tax collectors and sinners, I am going to those people of your own race, of your own ethnicity, and I am reaching out to them. You see... Today in our country, we, we're in the middle of what we call an ethnic battle over race, and it seems like a hot mess out there. 
And it really is. But it's really not as bad as it, the media makes it out to be. Because they picture these couple of race baiters and race haters and, and, and people who are stirring up racial strife and they put all the cameras on them and all the spotlight on them and they'll find mobs of people and, and, and they'll point on just them when we're a country of hundreds of millions of people. They'll find a couple of thousand and say, this is how the whole country is. Well, we know that's not the case. We have now our first African-American president and we know that he would not be the president today without the, the Caucasian vote, without white America vote, without other demographics, without other ethnic groups. He would not be the president. But we want people to stir up racial injustice and strife among us. But what I want you to realize is let's forget about the racial hot mess out there and let's just talk about your own ethnic group. There's a hot mess. Because in our own culture, there's barriers. In our own ethnic group, there's cultural barriers that we can't seem to break through. And Jesus is pointing these out. And here's what he's saying. You may know about God's grace, but you've never experienced it. That's what he's telling the religious crowd. It's all about you, Pharisees. It's all about your law. It's all about your commandments. It's all about your practices. It's all about your people. When I want you to know that all men, women, boys, and girls were created for the image and the purpose and the express intent of a holy God. And it's greater than any one ethnic group. It's greater than any one cultural group. It's greater than any group in the world. It, I died for the whole world. John 3.16 says he died for the whole world. That world in John 3.16 in the Greek means cosmos. That's in case they just found a little bit of water on Mars. If they find somebody up there, Jesus already died for them too. Amen. Amen. Now, as we think about this, you can know God's grace, but it's a whole different level to experience it. I know a lot of people who know a lot about Jesus. But they have never experienced the grace of God. They may have experienced salvation grace, which is a good way to call entry grace. But they may have never experienced the grace of restoration, of complete restoration from brokenness, from failure, from all those things. They know what it's like to maybe understand that Jesus died for them and they invited their heart. They understand what it's like to quote Ephesians 2, you know, for by grace am I saved. It's not of myself so that I can't run around and brag about it. But they may not know the very depth of God's grace. And what he was telling these Pharisees is, look, not only are you blinded to ethnic barriers, you're blinded to cultural barriers. Why? Because in Luke 15, we'll see in a minute, he says that he was with the publicans and the tax collectors who were Jewish people. And the religious crowd was mad that he was hanging out with sinners. I'm telling you today what God is looking for is a church that understands the truth of God's word. God is looking for men and women, boys and girls who know the truth of God's word, but know the truth of God's grace. Truth without grace is extreme religion. And grace without truth isn't much grace. It's just a free pass to have what we call indulgences. For you to say, oh, the grace of God is so great I can live however I want to. 
is to in, in, engage in indulgences without the understanding of the truth of God's word. Listen to me, young people, because this is not what the world is teaching you today in the name of Jesus. They are teaching you that you can know the grace of God, you can go to church, you can check the box, you can live however you want to, and you can still get to heaven. We have people of religious prominence, and I won't call their names today, who are saying that all roads lead to heaven. No, listen, there is only one road that leads to heaven, and it was started on the Via Della Rosa autopilots, hauled down to a place called Mount Calvary, down to the empty tomb, and from the empty tomb straight up to heaven. I'm telling you that you can't bypass the cross. You can't bypass the empty tomb. If you do, you'll bypass heaven. Are you picking up what I'm putting down today? You can experience God's grace. When you experience God's grace, you'll love to tell the story. Now, we've made it all the way to verse 25, which is really the heart of where we're at today. Because now the great crowds were traveling with Jesus. Are you with me? You there? Verse 25, underline that in your Bible. You remember he started off with what? Just a small group setting. Who got in that group? Those who were invited. Those who had an invitation. Now he moves out of that setting and that group's still with him. But now he's walking down the street and now that he's no longer protected, now that he's no longer isolated, guess who's there? The lame, the cripple, the hurting, those who live in the good houses, those who live in the hood, those who live in the, in the most difficult places from the best to the least and everywhere in between. There is a mass of people who is following Jesus. Now, now stay there with me because you remember the story. The power of his story was all the people who were invited didn't come. And so then he said, go out into the highways and the hedges. Well, stay with me right here, young people. You got to pick this up. And he goes out there and he says, invite everybody to come in that my house will be full so he tells this story so now everybody is coming in and he says everybody can experience god's grace are you with me right here come on are you with me you can experience god's grace but when he gets the big crowd of those who were invited those who weren't invited and just everybody in between here's what he tells them look at it verse 26 he turns to them and he says, if any one of you wants to come with me and doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life cannot be my disciples. Now, in our English language, it's pretty simple when it comes to some definitions of like the word love and hate. Where we know in the Greek it has many different definitions for just the word love and hate. And so when we look up the word hate in the Greek, it really means anyone who doesn't love his life less than mine cannot be my disciple. Anybody who doesn't love his, his mother less than me, his father less than me, his possessions less than me, his brothers less than me, his sisters less than me cannot be my disciples. And that's a strong saying. So here's what, he, here's what he's saying. He gets the whole group together. And now look, there were some who was there who was experiencing the grace of God by right. They had the right name. They had the right family. They were born in the right neighborhood. They had went to the right schools. They had the right jobs. They had the right prestige. They had the right level of prominence. They had the right power. They had the right persuasion. And they had earned the right to be there. 
And he says, you're earning a right to be here is nothing in truth unless you understand the grace. And then he turns to this other crowd and said, you've not done anything to be here. I mean, you were out minding your own business. You were out doing your own thing. And I went to you and said, you who are crippled, you who are blind, you who are maimed, you who are lame, you who live in the, in the best streets, you who live on the highways, you who live in the interstates, you who live on the back alleys can come. And so now, whoo, are you with me? There's a group who says, I've earned the right to be here. And there's a group over there who says, man, this, it was just handing out something free. And so we showed up. Can I tell you, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody pays for it. And so this other group comes there. And they're Mickey Mousing around. And there's this battle raging. Oh, can you see the power of the story here? I mean, there's those who says, bless God. I've done the time. I've earned the right. I am here by my persuasion and my influence. And those others are just like, man, they were handing out something free. I'm here and they're just slackers. And they're just living any old way they want to. And they think this is all free. And Jesus draws attention to them and he has, oh, mercy, mercy, mercy me. He says, he looks to that crowd that thinks they've got it all together. And he looks to that crowd who hasn't done anything to be there. And he says, I am telling you this, that you can experience the grace of God. You can experience the fulfillment of the truth of God only if you love yourself less, you love your family less than me. Whew. Oh, my, my. And then he gives more stories. And he says, what man would go off and build a building and not first count the cost, lest he is first made a fool of? You know, if he starts building a building, he gets halfway through it, and he's like, oh, man, I don't have enough money. I didn't think about that. And so then there the building sits, and there's no way to complete it. And then he's made a fool of. And then he gives another illustration. He says, which man who would go off to war and not first count the troops to see if his 10,000 can conquer the 20,000? Any man that just goes out there and starts waging war and goes to war against another kingdom and all of a sudden in the middle of the war he realizes, oh my goodness, we're going down and he has to retreat and run back. And he is made a fool of. Made a fool of is the common phrase here embarrassed because of the epic failure now look at this with me skip down to verse 33 in the same way therefore go back to the story the power of the stories what happened they were made fool of in the same way in the same way every one of you who does not say goodbye to all of his possessions cannot be my disciples. Because you would have been salt. Okay, stay with me. You would have been my you would have been salt. You'd have been a believer. And now you have value. Salt has value, significance value, and especially in this day and time. But now all of a sudden that you didn't count the cost. And you started off in the casual Christianity. Stay with me, young people. He, casual Christianity. And now, because of your loose living and cheap grace, you have now caused an embarrassment to the kingdom of God, to the master, to the one who died for you. And now, oh my goodness, and now all of a sudden your whole life has lost its value to the kingdom. What did you find? 
I found truth, and I found grace. Grace is getting something that I didn't deserve. But to understand the depth of God's grace without the truth of God's word is not grace at all. It's just another government handout. Are you with me? But when you understand that the truth of God, the word of God was fulfilled on the cross of Calvary and the finished work of Calvary, when the truth of God, the wrath of God, the appeasement of God that was met on the cross of Calvary and you realize all of that truth, all of that wrath was mine, when you realize the truth of God was justified in the cross of Calvary, then you understand what grace is. Other than that, you just have another religious practice. See, you can know God's grace and not experience it. And we have a lot of people who are in church that way. They preach hard, they preach long, they preach loud. They have good strategies, they have good ministries, but they have no grace. No grace. When somebody falls into temptations, when they sin, all of a sudden they're thrown away. They say, we can have no part of you, you're a failure. You embarrass God. And they don't have any grace. And then there's those that have so much grace, but they have no truth. Oh, we just want to fill our building up. If you'll just come to our church, you can live any way you want to. That's where we have new, new words that are coming out. Like, I can be a homosexual and be a Christian. It's like saying I can be an adulterer and be a Christian. I can, I can be a bank robber and be a Christian. I can be a liar and be a Christian. And we, we, we just want people so bad. We're just struggling so bad because we're trying to build a church up. We're trying to build a big church. We just need to fill it up. And bless God, Pastor, if cheap grace will get them in and it'll fill them up, we can have all kind of money and build good buildings and, and have gymnasiums and football fields and ballparks and complexes and go around the world and, and do good and all those things. It'll all be worth it. Listen, the government does good. The government feeds people. The government houses people. The government clothes people. The government provides education for people. But the government does not provide a way out. Only Jesus can. And a church that is embodied in cheap grace without the full gospel can't do much more than the government. Because many will say in the last day, Lord, Lord, but didn't we prophesy and cast out demons in your name? Yes, you did. But you never moved it from your head to your heart. Therefore, you can't have any part of me. See, not only can we know God's grace, we can experience it. And not only can we experience it, but as the rest of this sermon series will show, you can give it. We move into Luke 15, he looks at the tax collectors and the sinners and the religious crowd and that whole bunch. And he says, now that same grace that you understand, that you found, that same truth that you found, now you can share it. Now you can give it.